Hold down. Hold silent. Going, going, going. Go on, Welcome to the Current Market Insights Podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate. Each episode, we chat with real estate author and industry leader Peter O'Malley to discuss the current property market conditions and provide insights to assist you on your property journey. Hello and welcome to another edition of Current Market Insights. I'm your host, Kieran O'Brien, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Peter O'Malley. Good afternoon, Peter. Hi, Kieran. How are you? Well, I'm doing really well, Peter. Look, uh, I thought we'd have a bit of a chat today about uh, the strength of the property market. We've certainly talked about different elements of property uh, well, we do every other week, but we've talked about uh, what's been happening with house prices and, and you know how things are kind of moving uh, in step or out of step potentially with the RBA. But I thought we might touch on this week just where we're at uh, in terms of the market position right now uh, and, and really why all the media and, and everyone is talking about just the strength of Sydney property. Kieran, as we all know, coming into 2023, everyone was expecting a pretty sharp downturn for the Sydney property market and up until the beginning of September, house prices for Sydney are up 8.3% and apartments are up 5.2%. So when you consider that people were expecting a correction in the order of 10 to possibly 20%, for property prices to be up, uh, house prices to be up 8.3%, they've well and truly outperformed. And uh, the early uh, stages of spring suggest that that's not going to stop, that the demand is there to meet the increased spring supply. So the market is uh, is confounding everyone. So I guess before we really dig into the different elements that are kind of fueling what's happening at the moment, uh, you mentioned that the normal spring supply is usually a bit of an uptick in the number of dwellings that come to market. And you say that demand is, is matching it or it's looking to match it at the moment. Uh, is that a, a usual kind of... Uh, situation that we see, you know, find ourselves in? When stock levels increase, we do see, say, the auction clearance rate pull back a bit. So the percentage increases that I've just read out to you, Kieran, they were core logic numbers. On SQM Research's auction clearance rate, they had the auction clearance rate hovering around 55, 56% through August. Uh, last weekend in Sydney, they had the auction clearance rate at an even 50%. But what I would say, the probably middle to upper segments of the market has got a much higher clearance rate than 50%. So looking at a city of five, five and a half million people and saying, well, this is the auction clearance rate across the city tells some part of the story, but it doesn't tell the entire story because there's real pockets of strength in this market at the moment. And uh, one way to explain is 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 it seems the more expensive your house or apartment is, the more likely it is it'll sell for a good price, if not a premium price. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I'd encourage any of our listeners who are a little bit confused over auction clearance rates to have a listen to one of our recent episodes where we do certainly break up uh, how those numbers are calculated. But it is uh, certainly a sign that there is strength in the market. So what do you think, uh, other than the top end, I guess in some ways carrying the, the price, uh, the average a little bit, what do you think are the major kind of factors that are driving this this property growth? Well, if we look in today's news cycle, for example, we see that uh, net permanent migration into Australia, Kieran, is uh, 
running close to 550,000 people for the last 12 months. Now, initially the government told us to expect somewhere between 250,000 to 300,000 annually. Then they bumped that up. I think it was in the budget. They bumped that up to about 400,000 in May. And here we are in September, in the middle of September, nearly 550,000 new permanent entrants into Australia. And that's net migration, I might add, Kieran. So that's a phenomenal number and that's that's creating um, acute pressure on housing supply which will play out in rental markets initially and also will support the lower end of the property market as people come into Australia and whether they're coming in with their pounds, their US dollars or whatever currency it is that they're coming into with, as you may or may not be aware, the Australian dollar has been under pressure for the last 12 months. So these um, people that are moving from offshore to Australia also have greater purchasing power in the property market at the moment if they are coming with one of those currencies that has outperformed the Aussie dollar. So do you think that this is deliberate government policy to bring you know excess people into the, the country? We know obviously uh, the Prime Minister announced in talks with India and, and the subcontinent that there was there was a bilateral agreement in place. Uh, but as you say, we'd, we'd been warned of you know perhaps four hundred thousand per year coming in, uh, and you say we're seeing five fifty. What's the motivation? Do you think every government in Australia is paranoid about a recession on their watch? And one of the great ways to avoid a recession is to manufacture additional production in the economy, if you like. And the easiest way to do that is to invite more people to the country to participate in the economy. And whilst from person to person, their cost of living may rise, their standard of living may fall uh, on the government's books, uh, GDP, uh, gross domestic product for the economy, will have increased and we will avoid recession and then the politicians can tell us how great they are because they have continued to keep Australia out of recession, even if other countries around the globe have fallen into recession. So that's a big part of the game. They're, they're all about creating economic activity uh, and uh, it helps the books at the end of the day. Yeah, unfortunately, though, economic activity on the books doesn't really help you, know, you and I with our cost of living and, and you know, the pressures that we all feel in society at the moment. And that's going to be a big issue heading into the next election is the government, as every government does, says we've done well with the economy and people will be sitting at home and saying, yeah, but my standard of living is going backwards. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I can certainly relate to that, Peter. Uh, I'm interested, you did mention in there that obviously uh, excess people coming into the, the country puts pressure on housing. Uh, that's our area of focus. And you have said in the past that you don't believe we've hit the true rental crisis yet. Uh, where do you think we are in that cycle uh, and, and, you know, really what's the impact of these extra 150,000-odd people per year going to have? Uh, well, look, I thought we were on track for a rental crisis in 2024 when we were looking at 400,000 people a year coming into the country. So those numbers now are well over 500,000 and just shy of 550,000. And, uh, yes, the government are trying to do things on the uh, housing supply front, but there is no way they will be able to get that housing supply to the market quick enough to avoid an outright rental crisis. So I think we'll see somewhere in the order of 10 to 15% increase in rents in early 2024 as international students come back into town. Inflation takes over. It must be said that rents are included in the RBA's inflation basket and it's the biggest percentage weighting in that basket. And when you look at what's happening at the petrol bowser with uh, with petrol costs, that's going up as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, 
a second run on inflation here. It looks like we're beating it there for a while, but there's some there's some big ticket issues that are going to flow through and really pressure the RBA in the next few months. So thinking of tenants, they've had a pretty stressful you know, 12 to 18 months, let's be honest, in terms of rent rises, uh, as, as have mortgage holders. We can't forget, you know, there's been cost of living increases everywhere. Is there anything that tenants can do to, I guess, buffer themselves for, for what potentially may happen? Because 15%, you know, it sounds relatively arbitrary as a, as a number. It's not, you know, it's not 50% or a double or anything like that. Uh, but when rents are already pretty high, uh, surely that, you know, that's a stressful situation coming for some of these people. What we're seeing, we let's talk about an apartment we had in Glebe. We had a single family household renting a three bedroom apartment in Glebe, and they were getting eight. They were paying eight hundred and fifty dollars a week for this apartment. The owner offered them a new lease at a thousand dollars a week, and that's twenty percent uplift in price or thereabouts. Um, and they didn't want to pay that extra one hundred and fifty dollars a week, so they moved out. We put this apartment on the market. And um, three uh, overseas students from mainland China took it and paid $400 a bedroom each when it is a shared tenancy and that property leased at $1,200 a week. So the rent in January went from $850 to $1,200 a week in, 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 in the change of tenancy. And what you're seeing there is um, uh, students clubbing together and, and, and looking at a property in a per bedroom uh, cost rather than a whole dwelling cost. Increasingly, we're seeing um, people uh, come back to the shared household arrangement and Philip Lowe got slated for this in one of his parliamentary briefings in the middle of the year because he suggested that people had a propensity to sort of uh, isolate and have fewer people per dwelling during COVID and one of the solutions to the rental crisis and the housing supply crisis is to push back towards shared households. I don't want to buy into whether people should be able to live, you know, by themselves independently or whether they sh- they're better off sharing. That's up to the individual. But certainly the market pricing is, is, is pushing people, a lot of people that way, even if they don't want to. Well, I don't know about you, but that's, uh, that certainly frustrates me as... You know, as a as an Australian guy with an Australian family born here, to to think that you know if we're renting and we we might face that that kind of scenario where international money can come in and take it out of it, uh, you know, push our, our rental up so high that we can no longer compete. That's incredibly frustrating. Well, when you invite five hundred and fifty thousand people into the country and you don't have sufficient housing for them to live in, what did anyone think was going to happen other than versions of that? And that's probably that's just an isolated example that I've pulled out of the top of my. Uh, yeah, head today, but that would be happening right across the city, versions of that. Yeah, certainly indicative of a bigger problem and, uh, yeah, shame on this government, Peter. Uh, you mentioned, or obviously we're talking about increased numbers of people coming into the, the country. Uh, what about offshore money? You know, we other than students coming in and paying more for rentals, are we seeing an increase in the number of expats or, or foreigners purchasing property over here, particularly given the strength of the dollar? From the beginning of 2023, uh, overseas investors predominantly uh, people from China, were evident on the ground, Kieran. Really uh, happy to see the media begin reporting on this in the last month or so as settlement figures come through about the amount of money that's pouring into the country from from offshore. And then it's not counted as offshore money, but we've got a lot of expats that might be working in London, New York, overseas, Dubai. They're, watching, they're being paid in US dollars or a stronger currency than Australia, earning good money, and then they see... Uh, they see the Australian dollar sort of fall from 75, 76 cents 
against the US dollar 12, 15 months ago to as low as 63 cents in, in recent times. And so and they say, hey, this is the right time to uh, to push some money back home and secure a property. So we're actually selling a lot of properties um, a little bit like we did during COVID, uh, FaceTime calls, you know, people buying from London and walking around uh, inspections before they start doing a FaceTime call and, and, and beaming beaming the uh, the property back to the prospective purchaser and they're prepared to buy on the back of a FaceTime call if everything they see about the property they like. So with the increase in, as you say, overseas buyers, uh, for our listeners' sake, what are the guidelines around the Foreign Investment Board? Are there any restrictions on, you know, Chinese nationals, for example, just purchasing property in Balmain? Uh, is there any recourse? Is there any restrictions on that? Uh, look, give me a system... And give me some time and I'll, I'll work out how to exploit the system. So, yeah, there's probably money coming in that shouldn't be coming in. I, I'm not here to referee that. That's not a real estate agent's job. Whether it's a family member that gains PR status, comes here as a student, opts to stay, whether they're outright flaunting the rules, is not for me to work out. All, all I can tell you is that uh, uh, it's completely obvious that offshore money is pouring into Sydney real estate. No, very fair. Uh, you mentioned earlier that unemployment is still running relatively low. Uh, I'm interested to get your take on what you think the reason might be for that, particularly given, uh, again, the very large influx of foreign nationals. My, I guess, primitive understanding of, of how unemployment is calculated would tell me that more people, uh, you know, same amount of jobs, there would, there would realistically be a, a rising unemployment rate. Probably not because the 550,000 people that are coming into the country, and that's into the country, not all in Sydney, of course, uh, they're creating their own ecosystem and economic activity that need to be serviced as well. So uh, if you look at the RBA's uh, research, they show that uh, employee productivity is not improving, and that's a big point. So we're all doing less work for a higher wage in the same amount of time according to the RBA. I'm not here to offend anyone, but that is what their research is is showing. Something that a lot of people will relate to is you go near any government organisation at the moment of any description and the service <laughs> is anything but service that you get from those organisations. It's, it's, it's atrocious, they're understaffed, they're overworked. That's not a knock on the person that is in these organisations trying to help you but it's completely apparent whether it's the local council, uh, the Medicare office, no matter where you go at the moment, anywhere near a government organisation, they seem overworked and under understaffed. So while ever the economy is running on that metric, employment's going to stay pretty manageable. Both Philip Lowe, the outgoing RBA governor, and Michelle Bullock, the incoming RBA governor, or the new, she's now the RBA governor, have both said they would like to see unemployment rise. That's a pretty controversial statement. A property developer has just put his uh, put his head on the block by saying the economy needs to feel pain and we need to see real job losses before this is fixed and he's understandably being slated in the media I, I today read that, for that. I read that comment this morning, yeah. So um, they're, they're the sorts of challenges uh, uh, facing the economy and, and the RBA going forward. Okay, so pivoting slightly, still on the topic of challenges, I guess, we, we've talked about the mortgage cliff uh, I think, you know, on a few occasions now we've said, look, it's, it's looming or it's, it's probably pushed back a little bit because the, the property market's been relatively uh, resilient. What do you think is probably the, the major driver or what, what's, what are the major factors that are keeping the cliff at bay at this stage, do you think? I think it's allowed 
people to exit the property market in an orderly fashion, the way the inflation and interest rate story has unfolded. And uh, we're a very wealthy country. So what we're seeing, which we've spoken about on previous podcasts, Kieran, is that Australians have got a lot of assets to sell down if they need to in order to shore up the uh, the household finances and, and protect the family home. The share market has performed pretty well over the last 15 months. So whether people have um, been using the savings they accumulated over COVID, selling off an investment property, selling down some shares, getting a wage rise from the boss, people are managing to meet the higher interest rates that have been thrust upon them in the last 15 months. The other thing that's worth pointing out here is the serviceability rate of those people that purchased in 2021, whilst they purchased with a mortgage rate of 2 or 2.5%, the bank would have run the stress test on them at a much higher interest rate level. And lo and behold, now that we're here at that much higher uh, interest rate level, their finances are holding. Only time will tell whether the RBA have got their interest rate setting where it is now, whether they should have been more aggressive, whether they've been too aggressive and are forced to cut shortly. I think that'll unfold in the next three to six months. So with uh, with all of the factors that are playing out, when we've got investors who, as you say, in, in Australia have been able to sell down assets prior to their, their primary home, is the higher immigration, the, the rising rents through increased competition, is that providing some kind of protective buffer uh, to investors in Australia at the moment, do you think? Yes, it is. I think the fact that the rental market has been rising has played a key role in supporting the property market because any homeowner that is under financial duress and doesn't have additional assets to sell on um, but doesn't want to sell their family home at a price they're unhappy with only to try and buy one back down the track, they reserve the right to rent their family home out and go and rent a cheaper property and maybe get some tax breaks by rent- renting their uh, their home out as an investment for a couple of years as they see off these higher higher interest rates. And we saw we saw a lot of that at the back end of 2022. It was actually one of the uh, articles we produced in our newsletter where we the, the heading was, we're just going to rent it out because what we kept getting told last year is we delivered best and full market price to people. It was below what they wanted for their property and they said, if that's the best and full market price, I can accept you've done your best just so you know, we're not going to take that offer. We're just going to rent it out. And it almost became a cliche that that was people's default position late last year. Reluctance to come to the market by vendors when the property market was uh, under duress also helped support the market uh, over time because there was a lack of supply. And as we've heard all year through 2023 from home buyers, the lack of supply has been frustrating, forcing buyers to bid on what's available rather than what they'd ideally like in Sydney. Now, look, that's a, uh, a really fair statement, Peter. I certainly yeah, had, had plenty of conversations myself with, uh, with vendors who have, have just opted to, to rent it out and go a bit of a more cautious route uh, as they moved into 2023. As we move towards the end of this episode today, Peter, uh, we, we've talked about buyers in the market before. Uh, you've also mentioned previously that there's a, a certain number of home purchases that are cash only, you know, not beholden to the interest rate uh, I guess, of the day. Uh, have you got any sense on how many, you know, buyers out there are actually mortgage-free and if that's, I guess, changed in, in recent years? Uh, well, look, uh, PEX have put some great research out on this, Kieran. Uh, they said that in uh, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane in 2022, 25% of all transactions were without a mortgage, i.e. 
straight cash purchases, which is remarkable. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Now, they said that the majority of those were baby boomers selling their primary residence and downgrading, and um, that's where the, um, the the cashless transaction or the mortgage-free transaction uh, came from. But it does speak to the wealth that's in the property market, how much Australians love their uh, you know, their property and their housing, and it also goes a very long way to explaining why the interest rate rises that we've seen are taking some time to to impact impact the broader market. Now, the other thing that's come out in the news flow today is that uh, mortgage arrears are at a seven year high, which I think is a really interesting stat, if not a, a slightly frightening one. So we're certainly not out of the woods when it comes to the mortgage cliff, um, but the market has been far more resilient than anyone would have guessed uh, at the beginning of the year. No, really insightful, Peter. As a final wrap-up then, i got one question. I know you love these ones. Uh, if inflation tends to be a little bit stickier than we had hoped uh, and the RBA decides they need to increase interest rates into 2024, how long uh, do you think the property market can hold on and do you think it's tough enough to weather uh, another series of rate rises? Uh, the employment figure is the big one there, but uh, not that I want to see any further rate rises, but uh, being realistic about it, there are some big uh, some big issues that are forming to suggest that inflation is not going to go away in a hurry, mainly rising rents that are about to surge again based on government policy and, and what is happening at the petrol bowser. And when you're talking about the petrol bowser, that flows right across the economy, that one, um, you know, tra- transport. Uh, energy. Energy, the whole lot. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's much to go in, in, in this whole inflation battle to see where it finishes. Well, we'll certainly just have to wait and see at this stage. Peter, as always, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Kieran. Great to see you. And thanks to you all. I'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining us on the Current Market Insights podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate, the podcast providing real estate insights you won't find anywhere else.